Welcome to the Eater Upsell, a podcast from the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Daniel Janine. I'm an associate producer here. And today on the Upsell, we are talking to the best fed man in America. It is Mr. Bill Addison. Every year, Bill puts together a list called America's 38 Essential Restaurants. That is the 38 most essential restaurants in America. To put this list together, Bill spends all of his time on the road, touring through cities, eating one, two, and three meals a night. Uh, We talk a little bit with Bill about how freaking hard that is and how everyone thinks he has the best job in the world. And although he loves the job, it takes a toll. He says he's starting to reach his threshold a little bit. Bill Addison has been a restaurant critic for 15 years. He started in Atlanta. He moved to San Francisco and then to Dallas and then back to Atlanta Magazine, where he was the restaurant editor and food critic before coming on board with Eater in 2014 for what he calls and what some would say is the dream job of all dream jobs. As always, a couple of plugs. It'd be great if you rated and subscribed and uh, shoot us an email at upsell at eater.com with comments and suggestions. Ooh, and stay tuned because... After our conversation with Bill, we're going to go on a little walking tour with Robert Sitzma, who is Eater New York's senior critic. He's going to take us to check out some new carts that have opened up off the Myrtle Wyckoff station in Brooklyn. That's all. So enjoy this conversation with Bill Addison. I'm on the road um, usually around three weeks out of the month this year. I sort of blew up my life. I sold my house in May. My car was totaled, though I was fine. And um, I sort of left behind what uh, left of my life in Atlanta, Georgia, I had where I lived for eight years. And I have basically just taken to the road. I've been traveling almost full time since May. I'm just a wanderer. And and that's why this job, when, when it came to my attention, I remember in February 2014, I was like, that job is mine. <laughs> so what, is it, what did it feel like when you actually decided to pull the trigger, sell the house, and also at the same time you got rid of your car? I mean, it was sort of the end of an era for me. Um, I had a relationship when I started this job in April 2014, and that ended early last year. And so um, I was already in a phase where I was um, reevaluating my personal life. And because the pull of the road is so strong for me, I just thought, you know, why don't you give yourself over to it entirely and just see what it's like to just be, be of the country and not anywhere specific. The thing that's been most interesting for me is that I had to, in a lot of ways, let go of uh, a really wonderful community of friends in Atlanta that's been my home off and on since 95. I've come and gone, come and gone, come again. But it's just the place that, as an adult, felt felt right for me to live. But I guess what's so interesting about this job and one of the reasons why it, it never even though you know parts of it are lonely or exhausting it's it's also completely exhilarating because in giving up a community in Atlanta I now have a national community almost every city in the country I visit I either have friends already there or I have people that I can just reach out to um and and have dinner with there's hardly any place in America I go where I can't find someone um 
to to share a good meal with. And usually it's other food writers um, in a large part because I'm I'm going so fast on the road that there's there's some shorthand to what I do. As a restaurant critic, you need to prep people a little. Try not to say my name out loud if people are even, you know, looking out for me. I'm, hmm. you know, we're going to share everything on the table. Um, don't loudly ask what it's like to be a restaurant critic when the <laughs> server is hovering by. Just, just little, you know, things, details about the actual job. Eating, dining in restaurants is a job for me. So when you became completely rootless back in April, did it turn out how you expected it to? I would say in some ways it got harder. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about this for a minute. I'm ready to have a home. It does get tiresome not having a place to call my own. It's it's gotten a little weird to just have, you know, a, a bedroom offered by kind friends as like my my place of solitude. And and it's interesting to have kind of stretched myself to the to the to the edge where it's not that I'm sick of traveling, but that I've I I know now where my threshold for balance is. I, I would say right now I really need to find a place to live and to have a place to come home to that that I can call my own. And maybe eventually, <laughs> hopefully, a person to call my own Aww. to come home to as well. But not someone that cooks, probably. <laughs> I would love it if someone cooks, please. It's the thing that I crave the most. Like, do you want to make me, if you want to impress me, like, please cook me dinner. Even if you're not that wonderful a cook, I just am, you know, so hungry for a home-cooked meal. Can you go on a date in in Houston knowing that you're going to be gone from there for the next probably six months? Yeah, I don't date much when I'm on the road. Um, and I know, you know, it's easy to find um, people via apps, all kinds of apps these days. But, you know, like picture, picture my day, right? So if I get up at six o'clock in the morning, if I'm, if I'm good, I go to the gym and then I settle in for a few hours of writing. I'm also thinking about where I'm going next. So I'm scheduling flights and cars and hotels and meals. I'm looking people up to have those meals with. I'm working on the next piece that Eater is going to publish. Uh, I'm looking ahead at the bigger projects like the Best New Restaurants in America or the Essential Restaurants of America to make sure that I'm covering those places in a city. And then, then I go eat. And I um, usually, sometimes it's one meal, sometimes it's two. Very occasionally it's three. I try not to do that anymore <laughs> so much like I did the first year when I was oh just my like God, it's too gobbling much. the entire country in one mouthful. <laughs> um, but, you know, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for like downtime. So, so my, my goal in finding a new home for myself is to be somewhere that I can be a little more, that I can um, spend a few less days a month on the road and then, you know, kind of develop a relationship there. So if you are interested in Bill Addison, please email us at upsell at eater.com. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> send us your likes a, and dislikes. Personal ad, and <laughs> my God. <laughs> we will send your email along. You are eating pretty much 
every day around the entire country. What have you noticed this year in terms of American dining that maybe you didn't notice last year? It's been an interesting year in a lot of ways. There are a lot of trends that are circular in nature that we're seeing. So some things I I don't have, interestingly, right at this moment, one like, ta-da, Georgian cuisine is the next big thing, even though I'd like Georgian cuisine, or Syrian cuisine, which I think is so wonderful, and I'm hoping that we see more cuisines of the Middle East beyond Israeli cuisine that's that's happening everywhere in America. But that's more my own personal wish list. I feel like um, it's really a time where the what we think of as comforts are just being explored from different angles. So we saw Detroit-style pizza, those rectangular pies, bait usually um, that are baked in some sort of pan that give them a caramelized, really crusty edge. Not quite as thick as Chicago deep dish, but definitely much more substantial than a Neapolitan pie. We saw some of that really emerging last year, and I think they're just going to be everywhere across the country. Do you see something popping up in the major hubs and then slowly spreading to the smaller cities? I feel like every now and then... A restaurant anywhere in America can think so outside the box that it makes the kind of impression that that ripples to the coasts. The the restaurant that always comes to mind for me um, that opened in the last few years um, is Milk Tooth in Indianapolis, which just like broke the mold on what daytime dining could be in America. The breakfast food that Jonathan Brooks does is so smart and it's not unfamiliar. It's just that he's kind of bringing his uh, intelligence and skill and imagination as a chef to bear on, on Dutch baby pancakes and waffles and egg dishes and coming up with these just like really exciting, very adult versions of those things. And that was the kind of restaurant that I feel like the media flocked to and sort of made a star out of. You know, there's a real wave of nostalgia um, in dining these days. I think that comes through a lot in the the pastas we love and the roast chickens we crave and the the big steaks we we order. And I, I had this dish that just made me so happy at prune. It's so simple and so Gabrielle Hamilton, but it was a creme de menthe parfait, which is just essentially a scoop of vanilla ice cream with creme de menthe poured over it. I I ate that as a kid. It was a treat, like a a once every couple months treat that, that my parents would pull out and serve for themselves. And they let me have a few spoonfuls. And I was just like, man, she just nails this. It's, it's the kind of menu where if you eat through it, everyone seems to be able to find something they can relate to. But I do think that a lot of trends in America still come out of the coasts. Um, and I would also, you know, include the Gulf Coast in that, not just the West Coast and the Upper East Coast, because I think Houston is such a miraculously good food town that I feel like chefs like Hugo Ortega are really influencing how people are thinking about more upscale Mexican food in the country. And we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, we're also seeing more of that, of course, in in Los Angeles and San Francisco at restaurants like Broken Spanish and downtown L.A. and 
and Kala in the Bay Area, and of course, Cosme in New York. So I feel like it was one of those years where we're just seeing more of what's already been percolating. I think we're going to see more Filipino cuisine. I think we are going to see more Israeli restaurants popping up in the middle of the country. How does your budget work? Can you go to infinite restaurants all the time? No. Um, of course, like like any job in journalism, I do have a budget. You know, here's one of the secrets to to what I do is that I often stay with friends in cities a lot. And so cutting down on hotel costs, which can add up right away, like the, the chunk of budget I have is for everything. It's for meals, it's for flights, it's for hotels and car rentals. So I try and shave it off other places so I can spend as much on food as possible. So you can do a better job? So I can do a better job. Yeah, so, so it takes the bus exactly. everywhere so, wow. so you can do a better job. <laughs> he, he rents cars. How do you get all the reservations? Yeah, I, I try and be like a regular customer about that, meaning I'm, I'm never calling in favors as a critic. I eat really early a lot, and I part of that is that I take all my own pictures, and so I want the good light, <laughs> the natural light. So in my notes, I hope I'm not giving too much away, but in my notes, I'm always <laughs> asking if I can sit by a window um, when, I'm, when I'm making restaurant requests on open You could just be claustrophobic. Yeah, exactly. I could. I could. A lot of people just need to be near a window. So mm -hmm. you need a fast exit. Um, but yeah, I would say that I, I am pretty flexible on when I eat at a restaurant. And I'm, I also, you know, am thinking far enough ahead that I literally set my calendar. You know, if I need to get into a NACA and they're booking three months ahead on a Sunday, then I, I have it set to five minutes, my calendar set to five minutes before that that opens up so i'm sitting there like poised to be like hitting the button over and over man so it's like half writing one quarter eating one quarter administrative work booking and strategizing yes yes it's only <laughs> a quarter as glamorous as most everyone <laughs> thinks it is that's actually but i am not complaining it's the greatest job that's a good a good segue whenever this list comes out people across our company ping me and say, what an amazing job, best job in the world. Oh my God, Bill Addison, so lucky. And I always say, not in a million years would I do this job because it's freaking hard. Yeah. Like you have to eat so much, which sounds really fun, but I get to eat whenever I want. You know, I just get to, I just get to go out with my husband and eat at a New York restaurant. Uh, you have to eat all the time. Sometimes you have multiple meals in an evening and you're traveling all the time and I would be very lonely. You do get to pick your own itinerary. So that that is something. You're not like a slave to just going out to write mindless reviews a la, I don't know, Micheliners a Gat or something. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, because I'm lucky enough to be able to target what interests me the most and what I think is most dynamic about what's going on in American dining. Like, I'm never not excited to go out to eat at night. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm almost like, it's almost, you know, I'm like a Pavlovian example of restaurant criticism at this point, which by which I just mean like, at six o'clock, like I'm in a restaurant, like I don't I don't know anything else. Like this is my whole life. So I don't even think about whether or not like I want to. It's right. not a question. You can't be like that. home I'm playing just, Scrabble. Like you have to be yeah. at a restaurant. Even if you're not hungry, like I think going out to eat three meals in one night with you is is so instructive. Have you ever done it? 
Oh my God, it's horrifying. You've done the three? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, multiple times. Yeah. Wow. And it, you just feel sick. But it's just, it's not about hunger for Bill. I'm, I'm guessing. No, it's about uh, research and curiosity and kind of maybe cheesy as it is to say, like wonderment. Like mm. if I'm going to three restaurants in a night, I mean, it's a sad night. Like when you and I, Amanda, have gone and we go to like, you know, a mediocre Mexican restaurant and then go to like a, a pizza place that's just okay and then end for like drinks and snacks somewhere. I mean, like, I don't want to, that kind of life I would not want to live. Yes. But if, if I'm able to go to like a really exciting Lebanese restaurant and then I hit a, a new American, a modern American place for like a few like super cool small plates and then I end with an omakase at a sushi bar. Who would want to live the life where you're going around tracking mediocre restaurants, though? <laughs> like all sm- all small town restaurant critics? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, in that I spent a dozen years doing that. Like as a city critic, you do eat a lot wow. of mediocre food. So I, I think that, that we have like pretty much hit the secret to my job. I don't eat a lot of mediocre food. And that's, I'm always targeting what's most interesting, the chefs that are the, the top of their craft in the cities that I'm traveling to. But, you know, when I have a bad meal or a bad service experience, it's all at, a, at one of those like really ambitious places. It's also kind of riveting, like, oh, man, you are hmm. fucking this <laughs> oh, up. Oh, it's and bad. I am like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember <laughs> what I'm this life was like. It's like rich people slumming it. <laughs> like, oh, God, exactly. is this what it's like oh, for the rest sorry. of you? Oh, no. <laughs> no Critic no. privilege. We'll be right back. Are you in need of great talent for your business, but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches, the creme de la creme of matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Right now, our listeners can post on ZipRecruiter.com for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash eat. Are people embarrassed when they take you out to a restaurant when it's not perfect? Sure, there is this whole thing that's just like the the food critic curse, right? Where, um, I mean, I experience this all the time as a, a city-based critic in Atlanta and Dallas and San Francisco where you're so excited about a place and it's just like everything like hit its mark and you bring somebody, another food writer back and you're so excited to share it with them and like the energy of the place has completely changed. <laughs> the, the B team is in the kitchen that night mm-hmm. and the the server doesn't give a shit and it's just, yeah. So I feel like that is a curse that every food critic um, who's been doing this job for any length of time knows. And, and that definitely happens. They won't get another chance for another 792 days. To yeah. It's not you. like you're going to be like, well, I'll, cu- I'll try back next week. Right. Right. Unless it's a restaurant that I'm targeting for a review in which I eat at more than once in a, in a city. And I, 
I never go to a city. I mean, it's a, it would be just a waste of resources to go, even when I'm a reviewing a restaurant and just go to that one restaurant. I'm also slipping in all sorts of other things that I'm considering for multiple projects. But, um, but yeah, it can be fun to then, I mean, that's, that's, Writing more formal reviews now as part of my job is one of is a, a great pleasure for me because it, it brings to bear all those years that I was a city-based critic, which with this national perspective that I've gained in the almost four years I've been doing this job. But I know I've, I've definitely experienced that where I get so excited and nervous. Where I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I found the place to bring Bill. And then I'm like watching you the whole time. Amanda, like, how, what is your actually... track record like of impressing Bill? I don't think it's that good, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm trying to remember. It's I a... really wanted him to like St. Anselm. I took him. And I, I don't, I don't know, Bill, did, now that we're away from it, what did, what did you think? I mean, I thought it was really delightful <laughs> for the neighborhood. About it. it should absolutely be on like the Eater New York 38. <clears throat> really delightful for the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, but like as a national paradigm of like what a great steakhouse is and should be, right. I didn't I didn't get it that night. It's good for you as um a neighborhood super fan to have someone come in at the national level. Be like, be check like, yourself. Yes. Be like, oh, this is fine. This is yeah, fine. But have, you, in the have you been to Bateau in Seattle, Amanda? Because they're yeah. actually doing what you think these guys are doing. <laughs> I mean, you should get yourself to Bateau. I know. I <laughs> are you looking at every restaurant you go to from a national perspective or will you ever? Um, I look at every place first kind of and see how it functions within its community like what is it what what part is it playing is it um you know is it uh, uh, does it set the bar for hospitality is it the best dim sum in the san gabriel valley is it the most um exciting lebanese food in dearborn michigan and then you know once i sort of suss that out i begin to think about how this fits in to the the national fabric and and what is like the and when I guess I say talk about the fabric like I believe in the the multiculturalism of of American restaurants right like they should I I want restaurants on this list that are at every tier and every kind of dining and and that becomes ever more important to me I I guess I should admit when I first got the job, I was so excited to be able to eat at all these like crazy high-end restaurants that I'd always dreamed about eating of, particularly like on on both coasts and in Chicago. And the more I do this job, the more I want to find as well those chefs that like both really speak to their communities, but in their excellence also like embody what's great about American dining and then are by their nature essential. Who botched it this year? Ah, uh, who? Where'd you go where you were like, this is going to be amazing. And then you're like, oh, God, how'd they screw up? So OK. Badly? Besides Amanda. Besides you're me. You're so good at I getting mean, besides St. Anselm, perfect neighborhood steakhouse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, a little disappointed when they served us the steak and we had to carve it ourselves. Yeah. I would say, even though I respect these people enormously, I would say Grace in Chicago disappointed me a little bit. Um, I, it really was a meal that felt very divorced from the season. 
and it was August. And so in August in Chicago, I'm just looking like, just like bring me summertime. And, and I mean, the, the craftsmanship at Grace, which I think has three Michelin stars and it's just, um, you know, from the linea lineage. Um, and the, it is, there's so much precision in that kitchen, but I just wanted something that felt a little more of the moment as, as well as, as having all the, like the, the technique and modernist imagination and stuff. So who else? I say that they may have, they may have knocked Alinea off the list if, if I had been wowed and they did not. And Alinea remains. Whoa. Whoa. Who else you got? Yeah. Cough them up. Uh, who, let's see who else. God, Cosme. Oh, sure. Also, Cosme in New York. I I've had inconsistent meals there, and I had one disappointing meal, kind of right out of the gate. It was after all the major reviews in New York were done, and a, a bunch of us visiting food writers in New York went, and we were all scratching our heads wondering what was happening here. And then I went back a couple times a year later and I, you know, I know my, my colleagues, my eater colleagues in New York just were loving it. And I went back and I got it and it was, it was fantastic. And those, the duck carnitas, which are their signature dish were so crisp the way they should be. And, and so many of the, the fish dishes had a beautiful acidity to them. But, um, I went back uh, a few months ago, and and it was the same problems that I'd had the first time. The carnitas were really like flabby and fatty, and and that dish is almost a hundred dollars just for that dish. So, I, and there were there were some other things, and the service was a little um, out to lunch. And I just yeah, I could I just couldn't. I mean, it, you you I can't walk in to a restaurant like that, that I'm going to name one of the 38 essential restaurants in America that anyone should walk into. And, and, you know, that not only fits this kind of grand idea that I think about of, of purpose and pleasure and hospitality, but you, you can also walk in and just have a great meal. Like, like you have to be able to do that if you're on this list. And, and I don't trust that Cosme offers that on a regular basis. Why should we care about the 38? You should care about the 38 because someone spends their entire year thinking about this guide. So it might look like a list that you can scroll through in 30 seconds, but it actually is a really deeply researched and intensely scrutinized collection of the best restaurants that define who we are as diners in America. So we go now from the best-fed man in America to another very well-fed man in New York. Robert Sietzma is the senior critic of Eater New York, and he is going to take us on a little journey to check out some new carts that have popped up outside Myrtle Subway Station. Pedestrian. I just got off the train at Myrtle Wyckoff. I'm emerging from the L train. And uh, I'm here to do a piece about all the carts that have appeared in the last few months since they made the pedestrian plaza uh, in front of the station. There's now like seven amazing carts. These are not the kind of fancy carts that they talk about all the time in, in Eater. These are like, they're not expensive, they're not branded, they don't have publicists sending out press releases. They're just like little carts and they really reflect 
the ethnic makeup of the people that live around here. There's a Tibetan cart. There are two Mexican carts. There's a couple of breakfast carts. There's a fruit stand. Uh, there's all sorts of, and then Dominican carts selling little pastelitos. So we're going to just wander around and eat some of this food. I've come here twice before. This is my third visit prior to writing a little piece. The food is just fantastic. I only have $23 in expense money, which means I can probably eat at all of the carts. But uh, I have to be a little bit careful. I can't like go wild and blow $10 at any one cart. So one of the carts is a tamale cart and it's from Atlixco in Puebla in the south of Mexico. And so they sell like six different kinds of tamales. Hello, how are you? Un, un tamal de rajas and I'll have a, uh, a mole. Yeah, see. Si. No gringo. What's, <laughs> which is the gringo? Green sauce. And, and it's, it's not very hot, right? No, a little bit. Uh, is it any good? Yes. Oh, okay, I'll try a gringo. I'm a gringo, I might as well get one. So here we go, we're unwrapping the tamales. Ooh, they're so beautiful. And these are not like wimpy tamales. These are big, hefty tamales. These are, you know, for $2, what a deal. I'm gonna eat the rajas, which has little flecks of tomato in it too. And uh, these are about six inches long, five inches long. And, uh, and you can see they're flecked with this chili peppers. So this is gonna be hot as hell. It's not hot as hell, but it's hot. The trick of the tamale, the tamale's dirty secret, is that it's like 50% lard. That's why it's so good. It's always so moist. I, I can't eat so much of this because otherwise I'll get so filled up, I won't be able to go to the other carts. This next cart is called Comida, Comida Mexicana, which is kind of a generic name. I don't even think that's the name, but, but it sells um, all sorts of Southern Mexican, specifically Puebloan things like sopes gorditas, um, things that are hand formed. Oh, the tacos look good. Another beauty, beautiful thing about this is that they're not just serving chicken and pork and El Pastor. I mean, they have a lot of things like pig face meat and brain and ear. So why don't we get an ear taco and see, see how, how good it, it listens. Uh, dos tacos, por favor. Um, un oreja y un uh, lengua. That sizzle you hear is the, uh, the sizzle of the tortillas and the sopas being warmed on the flat griddle. Oh my God, we have to find a table with some sun on it if we can, only because it's so cold. My teeth are chattering. Oh, now these kind of have to be styled too. The biggest pain in the ass is like taking the photographs. But like I said, the blog must be fed. And look at how gooey the ear looks which has little bits of kind of gelatinous material uh, and kind of like white skin kind of on the edge. So the taco in the Southern Mexican manner has been dressed basically with just with finely chopped onions and cilantro, nothing else. Oh man, this is so heavy. It's got double corn tortillas, of course. Oh man, that is one of the best tacos in, in town. I mean, that's amazing. Oh. Mmm. Oh, man. Oh, shit. That's the suadero, which is brisket. It's like eating a brisket uh, sandwich, only in a taco. Isn't that incredible? 
Jesus. Carts are one of the ever more predominant forms of acquiring food in the city. Beyond that, as ex restaurants become more and more expensive, uh, we depend upon carts for a kind of a meal on the fly that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. You can eat well for three or four dollars with no problem, but you have to really check every one of the carts out. You can't really, the story that I'm doing involves going to all the carts. It's kind of like a cart marathon. The, the, the brisket taco is one of the best things I've eaten in November. I mean, definitely the best thing so far this week. That just, it makes it so exciting to write about when you eat something that is that good, that just is salty and greasy and just full of flavor with onions and cilantro. And I didn't even bother putting any salsa or anything on there. It was just like perfect as it was. And I, I'm talking with my mouth full here, but um, now I'm gonna get back on the L train, go back to my desk and write this thing up. I've uh, been three times, I've eaten at all seven carts, and really they're all amazing and cheap too. So I recommend that you head on down to the Myrtle Wyckoff station on the L. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Eater Upsell. If you liked it, it'd be great if you rated it and did all that stuff. As always, you can email us at upsell at eater.com with anything at all, and we will see you next week. Theater Upsell is hosted by me, Daniel Janine, and my co-host, Amanda Clute, our editor-in-chief. Our studio team is Paige Bethman, Miles Yule, Carrie Clements, Alex Allreich, and Pedro Alvira. Our executive producer is Maureen Giannone Fitzgerald. And that is all we've got. See you next week. <laughs>